Hey, Speed Demons, and welcome to the American Downhiller Podcast, presented by SkiRacing.com, where we share our insights and stories on the best sport in the world, World Cup Downhill, and the legendary tracks that we run this winter. Because this week is all tech on the Men's World Cup, we're going to dig deep into a few topics and answer a few questions from the listeners. Hey, remember, if you have a question for us, email them to info at AmericanDownhiller.com. In this episode, number seven, we are going to cover pre-race routines and how to dial yours in, when to get to the start, what are the things you do for your equipment, your mind, your body, and what do you do that last 30 seconds before you run. We'll also cover training run stories. Uh, Darren, uh, Marco, and AJ and I have done a million training runs, and things kind of go crazy sometimes during training runs. And we'll also cover a few listener questions. Hey, everybody, I'm Doug Lewis, two-time Olympic downhiller, and although I never won a World Cup, I was second by four hundies. Yes, hundies matter, Darren. I did win a couple of training runs that felt really good, but didn't get me a trophy. Hey, joining me are three of the fastest American downhillers in our history. AJ Kitt, four-time Olympian and had 95 World Cup starts, but only one in a slalom. That's a smart downhiller. Next up, Darren Rawls, winner of 12 World Cups, and he left the World Cup starting gate 218 times, not one of them a slalom. Hmm. And finally, the founder of the American Downhillers, Marco Sullivan, a four-time Olympian who had 167 World Cup starts and a record of 105 of them were in the downhill. So as you can imagine, after hearing the amount of starts we collectively have, we know a thing or two about start routines and their importance. Let me start out with a quick question to everybody on here. Did you ever miss a start for any reason? And was it a World Cup? For me, I never missed a World Cup start, but as a U16, I was so super late to a start in Killington. My number was three away. I was still on the chairlift. I actually jumped off the chairlift, skated the start, went into the start, and was able to run. Not recommended, but I did do that. Anybody else miss a World Cup or miss a start that they want to share? Uh, for me, it was tight. I love tight uh, calls, close calls, and I had to get on the I was on the gondola in Kitzbühel one year and you kind of get wrapped up and trying to stay away from the whole crowd. And then things are tough and you know, to, you can't make, you can't get through places too easy because all the fans, but um, I was getting fully dressed on the Gandhi bib on suited up, ready to go. So I could just roll in the start. And I was panicking a little more than I should have. I, I still had about, you know, 15 minutes before I went, but in my mind, I was going to miss it. I didn't want that to happen. For me, the only start I missed, I was about 13 years old. It was a powder day at Kirkwood, California. <laughs> of course, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> I was out with my buddy Prado, ripping pow, and I showed up at the start, and my coach was just standing there all pissed because the race was, like, over. And uh, I learned my lesson that day. Never missed the start again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever missed a start, at least that I can remember, but I got to tell you, it's my recurring nightmare that I still have to this day. Um, you know, that whole stress, like you're talking about, Darren, of I lost, I forgot my bib or I can't find my skis or I'm late for the start. You know what I mean? It's just with that nightmare. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad it never really happened, but man, it happens to me re recurring right now as an adult. <laughs> yeah, I, I still have those dreams too. It's crazy. Me I, too, the ultimate I, stress dream. <laughs> for sure, I still have that dream where I'm late and I don't have my skis or whatever. It's crazy. <laughs> oh my God. Well, we all talked about timing. And I'm going to break out first thing about start routine. I was one of those who knew the length of the chairlift 
length of the pommel lift, how to get to the start. So I totally remember Kitzbühel was a, when I ran it, it was a tram that didn't fit 223. So they limited the amount of people. So you had to put your skis sideways in the tram. So I had to deal with the timing of that. I knew that in Val Gardena, the finish line was five miles from our hotel. So I would take a bus to our hotel, then go out the Hotel Lauren and then ride up. So every one of the World Cup starts, I knew exactly the chairlift times, the routine that I needed to de- be have so I could arrive at the start starting gate 15 to 20 minutes. That was my 15 to 20 minutes. But timing is is critical. And you can practice this as, as a junior racer too. Like you're at Kirkwood or at Pico or wherever you are, learn those times that you need to know so you can get to the start perfectly so you're not freaking out like the rest of us have. All right, so let's, uh, we've got the timing. We just discussed that. Let's talk about equipment. Equipment has to be ready at the start. I'm going to throw this to Darren. Darren, when you got to the start, what did you do for yourself or with your rep to get, make sure your equipment was ready and, and you felt comfortable? Well, early on, before I had a ski tech that took care of all that stuff, um, you know, even like this, this last week, Marco and I were at Ajax Cup and um, bringing skis up to the start, but the first thing I'd really pay attention to is just making sure there's no ice on the sidewalls. I was pretty anal about my stuff. Like I want my skis super clean, no snow on the top sheet, sidewalls, make sure the edges were clean. I mean, obviously after they come with the ski bench, I've like buffed out the sidewalls. There's no wax on the edges. And then I'd uh, separate them up, you know, take the straps off and make sure that the bases are clean. But uh, the ski techs, like you'll see them brushing those skis out when you come from a warm ski room into the cold, it actually helps like push out, you know, close the pores of the skis. So there's some wax left over no matter how much you brush. So you see these guys brushing quite a bit at the start to try and get that last little bit of, you know, a cleaned out structure. Um, and then it was, uh, you know, just taking a rag and, and wiping, wiping the skis down the sidewalls, like even right before we kicked out the start, just making sure there's nothing on the ski that's going to like potentially causing a drag. And then with boots, you know, I was, I was, uh, I mean, I made, made sure my, my uh, buckles and all the screws and, and um, rivets around the ankles were like, tight. Like that was kind of the night before I would do that. Just make sure everything was like tight and snug. So I didn't have like, you know, power strap, like coming off or, or a buckle getting loose. Um, that's just an extra distraction you don't need to have either, you know, as far as yourself in panic mode like those dreams that we just talked about you know so making sure your equipment's dialed i mean i'd even polish up my helmet the night before you know the rag make it all clean you know just buff it out like everything was like cleaned up and ready to go fast nothing specific for me but like darren said just you wanted to be in that start or show up at the start without with as little worries as possible so having all that stuff dialed in I'm probably the polar opposite of Darren because, you know, uh, that was just one thing that I didn't have any talent for. I mean, yeah, I wanted my my equipment all dialed in and I wanted everything perfect, but I also wasn't the one doing it, right? I had a service tech that that I let do all that stuff because that was his job and his his area of expertise. And uh, I didn't want to get in the way, basically, is how I felt. So I made sure that, you know, my stuff was, was dialed and I showed up at the start ready to roll. Um, but you know, other than that, like with the skis, for sure. I just, I just raced on what they, what they put on my feet. 
I think one thing that, I mean, for us, we're taking care of, we have factory techs, all these kids out there, like take your skis up and like, you know, pay attention to what's going on. They'll just leave them stuff in snow and have like ice chunks, you know, or snow in the bindings. And, you know, I was like really kind of like conscious about trying to keep my bindings clean. And I would even clean my boots, the toes and the heels off before I'd even walk over to get, you know, uh, my tech to put me in, but just like make it easy on your tech or make it easy on your coach getting you in your skis, you know, and don't show up with like ice jammed up in your bindings or whatever. But I'll, I'll, I want to touch on one thing, a story um, in Aspen, you know, we were just there, Marco and I were just there ripping around and got the top of Aztec and actually FaceTime AJ, which is awesome, you know, just checking in because he owned that place. But I remember his tech, Eddie uh, Wahlberger, which is mine as well, like a few years later, he had three pairs of downhill skis at the start of AJ's. And he would like put them on his feet and he would tuck down the side of the race hill and go up that top lift. And I went up cause I was forerunning. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just trying to find the race keeper today. Mm-hmm. So he would actually, I mean, leading up to like, you know, half an hour before the start, he would put them on his feet and he'd feel what he liked best. And it actually worked pretty good, huh? AJ, yep. <laughs> no one could touch you up there, but it was, it was impressive to me that, his ski tech was actually skiing on his skis and just like deciding which pair to pull out, you know, for that race. And um, I mean, yeah, just rocket ships. Isn't it interesting? I just remember putting on my skis and if they were super fast in the start, my rep would like, Oh my God, we hit the wax. Of course, if they were just sticky, they're like, Oh, that's perfect because you can (laughs) break. They just, they just twisted around no matter what your skis felt like it was perfect. (laughs) it's so true like what are you gonna do about it at that point especially if you're the wax guy he's like yeah i nailed the wax before the race for sure they're sticking right now but they're gonna break for you you know just put the athlete in a good frame of mind and like gonna push really hard out of the start it'll be great (laughs) uh all right so equipment's taken care of so important to take that worry out of your mind whether you are doing it or whether your coach or your rep is doing it let's move to the to the mind aj if your equipment was set or being taken care of, how did you get your mind in the right mental space to uh, fly out of the, the start of Kitzbühel? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I approached the, the whole mental side of the thing with, with a lot of focus. I feel, really felt like, you know, if my mind wasn't totally right, it was going to affect everything, right? It was going to affect my physical. I'd be stressed and tight. And if it, you know, if I changed my approach to, to, to how I was going to attack the course, it would, you know, the equipment wouldn't work the way, you know, it was, it was dialed to or whatever. So, um, you know, my most important thing for me was to be able to stay relaxed, be able to manage my heart rate. And, um, you know, so I wanted to be at the start plenty early and I didn't care if I was hanging out for 15 or 20 minutes or even, even a half an hour before I kicked into my routine. But, you know, if I took my, the moment I kicked out of the starting gate, you know, backed up like 20 minutes, that's when I started everything. Right. So I had a little physical routine where I'd get my blood pumping, get my body warm, stretch out, get my body feeling really good. And then I would just start to dial in with my head and start to focus on what's my approach to the, you know, to, to the first section of the course. I want to get into a good rhythm on the, on the run. Are there any tricky spots that I want to really focus on? And every, you know, sometimes I'd even run through one whole run of the course one last time, you know, t- start to finish. Uh, but then after that, I wanted to kind of really shut all that stuff out and not, not overthink it. I didn't want to over, you know, overanalyze the course. I really wanted to have my mind be really free. So um, as soon as I felt really confident in my, in my approach and my plan, then I kind of stopped thinking about the, the race itself. And I really just focused my mind on my body. And, 
um, you know, there's, there's some relaxation techniques that, that, you know, that we learned. And that I think every, every athlete will learn at some point in their, in their career to be able to have your mind control your body, you know, really focus in on every piece of your athletic ability um, and control your heart rate. And, and right before I went out of the starting gate, you know, as, as we ramped up from five minutes to three minutes to go and all that kind of stuff, I tried to get really fired up, get really almost jittery. But then with 30 seconds left to go, I brought my breathing down and tried to get my heart rate down to where I felt it was below like 120 beats per minute. I wanted to really relax and really get calm. And then with like 15 seconds to go, it was go time. And I got really fired up again. So I wanted to be able to explode out of the starting gate from a really calm place, but then ramp everything up and be really ready to fire like a rocket taking off the, the launch pad. AJ, I'll throw this one out and I'll throw it to uh, all three of you. Um, what happens uh, with the delay? What happens if um, something happens to break up that routine? How are you able to manage that hiccup or that bump in the road mentally? Well, for me, that was this is the hardest thing. I mean, I remember I got iced in, in, um, in uh, Garmisch one year. Um, I was in the starting gate. Two of the three racers ahead of me had, had, you know, crashed in the same exact spot. And the guy on course ahead of me had taken out a bunch of netting. And so, and it was really cold that day. And you guys know what Garmisch is like anyway. So, you know, it's like, okay, out of the, out of the skis, you know, leave the skis laying there, get out of the bindings, get a cape on, you know, you got to just completely regear your mind from I'm ready to go right now to I'm going to back up to a point in my routine, but you don't know how far to back up. Right. Because they're only going to give you like a two minute warning when they're ready to resume racing. So you've got to like figure out how to get from, you know, that, that part of your routine to that two minute pre-race thing uh, in like a moment's notice. So those are really tough. I mean, at that point, it's just about staying warm and trying, you're kind of an idle, right? You got to throw the, throw the, the transmission into neutral, idle the motor at like 1500 RPMs for who knows how long. And then, you know, you got to be able to throw it into, into gear and, and crank it out again. So those are definitely really tough. I can't say that, that, um, you know, I had one that I can remember, but I can't remember many more. And, and those are those are experiences you just don't want to have to have. But you, know, you got to be ready for it. I think just putting yourself in your own place, right? Getting away from that that situation. I always, um, I mean, a number of times too. You know, just maybe it's just in the start or a couple of guys out, and there's a long hold, and you're kind of ramping up, building up, like like AJ was talking about. Marco's going to talk about about physically getting ready and mentally getting ready. You kind of like everything it comes together for one moment, you know, and timing is, is critical. And sometimes you have to completely shut that off and restart and that those are tough, but I think it's just, it's good practice to, you know, um, just, or just stuff you got to deal with. So you got to know how to do that. And I'd walk away from the start. I want to kind of get out of my skis. I had a um, long hold in Bormio one year and I had just completely kind of like checked out and said, Hey, you know, to Huey or start guy, just like, come get me like 15 minutes out. I would just, I want to be out of the scene. You know, I don't want to keep like keeping this mind kind of buzzing. I need to drop out of it and then I'll come back in and just, you know, restart. I like AJ's analogy of, of putting it in idle when uh, you have a long hold and you're staying present in your mind, but um, you might need to just chill out and, and not get too overamped. And, and like you said, you might only have two minutes to, to really get back in that routine once they hit the play button again. So I think it comes with experience, you know, it comes with just being confident and knowing that that's not going to ruin your day. If you do get ice like that, you can, you can bounce back from it and 
it happens to the best of us for sure. Just got to overcome it. Yeah, this is what I uh, tell the young skiers I coach is, you know, if you get iced in the start or if there's something going on crazy, remember that you're in control. You Darren talked about getting his skis off and going to take that time. AJ said, getting out. You, they're not going to start the race without you. Make sure that you th know that you have some control over the start and, and, and don't be bullied into a, a stressful situation. And I think that's really important to know that you're in control. So we've talked about the equipment. We've talked about the mind. Sully, I'll throw this one your way. What was your body warm-up routine and, and when did that start as far as back from the start? Um, yeah, for me, it, it was so important to be feeling good physically kicking out of the start or even throughout the whole day leading up to the race, which basically started in the morning um, with like a little morning warm up routine, especially as I got further into my career. I would, before I even went to breakfast, I'd get out of bed, do a little stretch and a little core, just get the, get the body firing. I know a lot of young athletes probably don't need that because you're bouncing off the walls anyway, <laughs> but uh, you know, getting up, making sure your body's in a good place, having a good breakfast. Um, you know, some guys were so nervous they couldn't even eat breakfast, which was fine, you know, but some guy, I was one who, I like to have a pretty big breakfast actually, so I'd have fuel throughout the day, but whatever suits your own, your own uh, needs. And once you get out on the hill, um, just getting, I always like to get a, a free run in before inspection and find a nice run, rip some arcs, just make sure you're feeling good on your skis. And if you're not, you might have to, you know, stop on the hill and stretch out or just identify anything that's you feel like it is a weakness. Cause going back to that end goal is when you're kicking out of the start gate, you don't want to have any worries. You want your body to be feeling good. So taking care of that as you lead up to the inspection and then, uh, when you actually show up at the start, you, I always like to feel like I was really physically warm, you know, no, no, uh, <laughs> I guess as you get older, it's like aches and pains, but when you're a kid, it's just, maybe you're nervous or you're, it's a cold day or whatever. Um, so having a, a set start routine of getting out of your skis, maybe running around, you know, maybe you're rustling with your teammates or something. That was one thing that I thought some guys used to do, like have, full-on wrestling matches at the start and that warms you up like crazy you know this is um, as long as you don't like pack your goggles full of snow see those kids <laughs> doing that it's like what are you thinking guys come on oh i can't see now oh it's still my goggles like enjoy come that on now. you know <laughs> your brain a little bit <laughs> but just making sure whatever it takes to to get warm and then for me that came before going into the physical the uh, mental routine that aj was talking about you know once your body's ready to go and you start dialing in your uh your mind to really get focused and then that last five ten minutes is is very personal i think but it's worth having a routine each time to make sure that you're fired up and ready to go even the u.s ski team um at that level you know we're at beaver creek and we were testing lactates and heart rates and all that and found out that when you fully max out for even just a small duration of time your body is awake and ready to perform if you go in kind of cold and not completely like just um, hitting that like maximum level, you can't perform that well. I mean, I think when you go up and train, you'll notice that your second or third training run, you know, say in a GS day or slalom day is probably better because you've already sort of like hit that maximum level. You have to do that before you get in the gate, especially on race day. 
So you're physically 100% ready to go, which Mark yeah. was talking about. Test the red line, right? Oh, yeah. And it's just like I would always, as a speed skier, I'd always warm up on GS skis. Super D downhill races, I want to be on GS skis so I can make a lot of turns and just like take advantage of just maybe one training, one warm up run, one free ski run, like Marco's talking about, to get physically ready. And um, I felt like it just transferred so easy from a 190 one to a 215 which i was skiing on for downhill back in the day but it didn't matter i wasn't like nervous about having to warm up on a heavy you know downhill ski i'd rather make a lot of turns and then i was physically you know amped up ready to go for i was it. the same way i always warmed up on gs skis for that same exact reason and because i couldn't turn the downhill skis without going 70 miles an hour so. <laughs> that's another hey one thing I'll, I'll say though too is for everybody that's listening you know all these warm-up routines are, are are different for everybody's got a different approach every personality's different you got to find what's what works for you Co customize your own program and you know a good example is like you know, for me, I wanted to be, I don't want anybody messing with me. I want to stay away from people in, the, in my, in my 15 minute period of time. So I got away from people. Christian Gadina is a great example of just the polar opposite. Like that guy would be goofing around, you know, he'd start singing like opera and, you know, and he'd be, you know, doing flips off of snowbanks and, and messing with people and poking, you know, walk behind you and poke in the back. That's not my routine, but that was his. And that's just kind of how he released his anxiety or his tension or whatever. But, um, you know, and, and that's going to, that's going to happen. Like for me, I had to get away from that. That was distracting to me and I needed to get away from that little mini psycho Italian guy. So I went over here and got away from it, you know, because I didn't want to be affected by that. So, um, you know, it's just different for everybody. You got to find your, find your gig and, and get in your own zone. One story about that, about people having their own routines. I remember when Shettle Jansrud, uh, several years ago at Kitzbühel, he was like on fire. He'd won the training runs he was everyone he was the favorite for the race and as on race day you can watch a lot of the early racers go by sitting st standing in the uh the start hut there on the side the, the big red bull tent that they've built and we were all kind of trying to watch the early guys and uh see what's going on with the course and turn around and there's couches in there and jan's dude is just taking a nap he's asleep on the couch you know whether or not he was actually asleep but he had his hat pulled down and, and was just acting like he didn't even care, you know, and, and that got in our heads because we're all like, this guy is so dialed in, you know, he, he doesn't even care what's going on. So it's all what you're feeling on the day and, and whatever you're doing, you might be like the other racers might be watching you too. You can get in their heads a little bit. Was that the yeah. year that Kush won his fourth race? <laughs> Yonsrud actually won that year. <laughs> oh, he did. So, yeah, yeah I mean. You know, when you're feeling it, it's like, hey, you know. So that is so critical. You have your timing, you have your equipment, your body, your mind, then that last minute. I just have a story I have to share that finally proved to me that I had done enough work mentally that I could focus second to second. So I was at the start of uh, Las Lanas. I had gotten second the day before, so I was super confident. It was a double downhill. So I'm one minute before the start, and I call my rep over. And because I had lost by 400 hundies the day before, I was looking for every hundred. So I had this little plastic thing on my boot that I said, hey, can you cut that off? So my rep, with one minute to go, because the starter's like, numero einen zwanzig, eine minute, or whatever. So he gets this big knife. I pull up my suit. He goes to cut off this plastic heater piece and he slices his finger from the knuckle down to the tip, down to the bone and starts spurting blood. So his eyes go up in back of his head and he <laughs> passes out. Like I thought my rep was dead. I'm like, 
Doc, I'm yelling because my rep just passed out. And then the starter goes, so I got like 30 seconds to go and there's commotion and chaos. The doctor's there. My rep's dead, I thought. And I physically moved from my rep to the start, but mentally I left my rep and I got in the start and I was able to do my breathing, my keywords, a couple keywords that, you know, be aggressive and do um, stare at that first gate and 10 seconds and I went and I was in totally into the zone, had a great top 15 race. I didn't win, but I, I had a good race, but I remember coming through the finish and, and my rep popped back into my mind. Oh my God, he's dead. So I, I was skied over to the radio. He had just passed out. It was 12,000 feet. He didn't like blood. He was fine. But that day proved after all the training I've done mentally to, to be focused, I found that I could focus within three to five seconds of chaos. So it's just a, a story that proved to me that it does pay off focusing and, and those start routines are a skill that you should practice and practice and practice. Yeah, I think it's a great thing that you can escape and be free, you know, and you have to be really focused when you're going fast. And, and uh, it's a nice, you know, way to kind of just tap into this like other dimension in a way when you're, you're ski racing. And always carry a first aid kit. <laughs> Good thing you didn't pass out in the start, Louis. <laughs> no, no. I've passed out because I've almost been nervous, but no blood. Any other crazy start uh, stories? I remember one year in Valgardena. Uh, my tech had made a last minute ski change and he goes to put me in the skis two racers out and I didn't fit in the bindings <laughs> like they were way too small because I'd shared tech with Travis Ganong who has a one size smaller boot and he'd been skied on the day before and my tech Graggy just started going crazy with his posi drive with <laughs> the bindings binding fully off the ski I'm like a minute and a half out <laughs> luckily the atomic system kind of at that time you could slide him in and out but he was he got it changed out and it was one of those times where I just had to go to a different place in my mind and be like all right he's dealing with that and uh with like 30 seconds clicks me in the skis tap the poles I was out of there and it worked but <laughs> it was the same thing I went through the finish and I was just like oh my god that was a little bit crazy that was like an f1 pit stop for you, huh? so, you just let your crew take care of that and you know in your place I'll, I'll i'll finish up with one too and uh i had a big crash in adelboden sure a lot of people have seen that it took me out of racing bangin i was working my way back um and i was in a super g for kitsville i still couldn't inspect by putting full weight on my leg and so i was just like inspecting pretty much on my left leg the whole way down just touching my right was not where i wanted to be physically and came to the start i was committed and and I'm getting into my skis and burglar says like, how's your leg feeling? I'm just shaking my head. Like, dude, it's race time, you know? And, uh, I mean, like, legs fine time to race. Like, why would you ask them like that? It was like what I was thinking, but I went out there and still, you know, was able to block that out. And actually I lost the race by two hundredths of a second, um, to Herman Meyer, but it just shows like, Hey, even physically you can like muster up enough strength and just, you know, Put something out of your mind, either your tech slices his finger, bindings aren't adjusted, or you're not feeling 100%. And it's like, I was just thinking, you know, I got like a minute and a half, minute 40 to go all out. Like, I've been trained for this. I can do this. Like, this is not going to, you know, stop me. So, power of the mind goes a long ways. Let's switch directions uh, to training runs. Uh, training runs, um, 
they can mean the world, they can mean nothing. Uh, Darren, which, which was your approach to training runs um, uh, for World Cup Downhill? Training runs, well, I mean, I looked at it as like, we're training all year long. We have a couple shots, maybe just one training run in a race. These tracks are insane. They're, just, they're so much fun to ski. So I was like, I want to, you know, get the most out of these. Um, for the most part, I would be pushing. You know, there's some spots where I'd try and relax a little bit, maybe, you know, not fight for like crazy aerodynamics, like on flats, something like that. But in the turns and more aggressive um, sections where line to me was going to be my advantage. I would either, you know, have a plan with the coaches. I mean, either go for this like really direct, like fast line, or maybe I'll just ski a more rounder line so we don't give up our, our you know, optimal race line to everybody else or watching, but ski it hard. But I want to come down feeling like I left everything on the hill in training and um, in certain sections because I want to be at that really high intensity level when it came to the race. And I, I was confident myself in my training where I could blow myself out in a, say, a run at Bormio, recover, focused a lot on recovery, get on the bike as soon as I could, hydrating, you know, propping the legs up, doing electric stim, all that stuff, you know, and and um, fully recovering as fast as I could. So I was ready for the next day. But it was, um, yeah, I think saving a few lines where you don't want to give up at your fastest, you know, uh, race line, but also just skiing hard. And it was fun. Like, I want to come down having a good time, and I didn't want to give up the chance of, of like, laying a line and going huge off of some jumps and, and feeling these fast turns just for one run, one crack at it. I think I treated training runs um, more as a learning run um i was never really like i was kind of notorious for not being that fast in training i had the confidence to that i could usually pull it out on race day and be better so it wasn't important to me to try to be fast on those days it was more about getting on the track feeling feeling the snow feeling the speed the the air the, the uh see if it correlated with what you thought it was going to be in your inspection and and um just really learning the track so that you had a great feel of it for the race day when you're going full punch. And if we had more than one training run, um, then the intensity would ramp up from day to day. But the first one, I was always kind of, kind of slow, kind of checking it out. Um, you know, several times actually like missing gates and just having, but having the mental confidence to be like, okay, it's training. doesn't matter. And, uh, moving on, but take, keeping all that stuff in, in the, in the bank for when it really counted on the race day. Before AJ, you, you comment, I wanted to just throw this out. When I raced, we had at least four training runs scheduled, like three to four always. AJ, you were around uh, at the end of my career and then you transitioned uh, into this later career where they might've scheduled only one or two. Did you, how did you like the amount of training runs and did you ever skip a training run if there were too many? Yeah, so that's a great point. I mean, you know, and, and in today's, you know, junior racing and early fifths, you know, they, they, they try to, you know, schedule a few, but, um, you know, for us, uh, I remember that Louis, when it was like three days of training was standard at, at the world cup level, uh, in, in the late eighties, early nineties, but then it, it compressed. And I mean, they might, there, there were times when they would schedule three, but then they'd only, then they'd cancel one on purpose, but more than likely it was, they'd schedule three and weather or, you know, tra track conditions or whatever wouldn't permit more than more than maybe one sometimes. 
and so there was a lot of, I remember a lot of the, the time in my career in the you know early to mid 90s where we were only getting one training run uh before the race and and part of that was, you know, we, there were a lot of years where there wasn't a lot of snow in Europe, especially, you know, especially in January. But, um, you know, so my, my approach uh, always in training was that, that sort of pull the string approach, right? I wanted to have the, my training run, or if I had to, to, you know, be a little bit of a rounder line so that on race day, I could pull the string a little bit and tighten things up where I, where I knew I could. Sometimes, I, you know, the, the, the line I chose in training was, was right in a section, and sometimes I could tighten it a little bit, but I just, I really like to, you know, I always treated training as like a 90% run and it wasn't necessarily 90% intensity, but it was not sort of 90% of, do I want to win this run? And so I backed off a little bit with my line, or I, maybe I backed off a little bit with, you know, racing to the finish line you know, I'd stand up a gate or two early or something like that, just to always save a little bit for race day. Um, and I felt like that was an approach that worked for me personally, because like your, your question my best run on average was my second run. And if I ever did get two training runs and a race run, I felt like I squeak, I might've squeaked out another good run on the third run, but, you know, and sometimes I'd have a good run on second uh, on third run, but you know, more than, more than not, my best run was my second run. And, and to, to answer your other question about skipping a run, absolutely, man. Bormio, I skipped, I skipped a second training run a lot. Vangen, I skipped a training run a lot. Why? Well, because I, saving some legs, you know, like that was, those two courses took so much out of you that I love the opportunity to, to get out there and inspect and do everything, but not, you know, go to maximum intensity the day before a race. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, giving up some good was, runs, man. Uh, yeah, I know, but I needed to save it. I thought, I just felt like it was important to save it. And, um, but anyway, yeah, my approach for, for training was it was training, you know, winning a training run, uh, might, might build a little bit of confidence, but it's certainly like you said earlier, Louie, it doesn't give you any trophies. I'm going to throw this one to, uh, all of you, but mostly Marco and, and Darren, if you were still racing Bodie at Kitzbühel, you come in, uh, into the style hung, you have that big carousel. There was that year he went, he dove in. He took a completely different line. He won both training runs and then everybody started copying it. You know, if you go in there more direct and you're cutting off a lot of line, it's it's a huge benefit. And that was kind of our line that we we chose. And Bodie went there really direct and just like cut a bunch of line and smoked all those guys there. And yeah, he won that training run, but he gave it up for race day. And like Hannes Reichel, I think was the guy that won that year. He did the same exact line that Bodie did, and, and it made the difference to keep, you know, him ahead on that. But um, that that was a, a big balancing act of how far you want to try and push yourself and and show your best lines. What you were talking about at Kitsfield going in straight and and then whipping off a tiny turn up there, like I didn't really have that skill, you know. So I was looking at more maybe coming in high and and being super clean and carrying speed out and then making time up later um and on that lots of other courses too it's like you kind of pinpoint the spots where you know you can be really fast and and play into that even if your competitors are showing something totally different you got to uh you know unless you're totally off the mark you got to like keep keep it uh between the lines and do what you can do to the best of your ability and it usually works out pretty well i like that play to your strengths and never forget <clears throat> that you are unique and have your own strengths. 
training runs, I just want to kind of take a right turn on training runs. Training runs can also be a little crazy. I remember back in St. Anton, we went up for the training run. It was blistery. It was snowy. It was freezing. It was unsafe. And this is back in the 80s. They said, we're going to just run you with your clothes on, put your bib outside of your clothes. We're going to run you every 30 seconds just to get you off the hill safely. Well, that turned into a nightmare. Uh, Austrians would go out of the start and just wait at the bottom of the start until four of the Austrians got together. And then they'd ski across the entire thing and then, you know, hit the uh, crazy kangaroo jump at the end. And so we started that. I went down with Phil Mayer and we just kind of drafted each other. It was absolute craziness, danger. It would never happen today, but that's what it was like in the 80s uh, when they tried to just make bad decisions. Any other training run stories for you guys that were just kind of off the wall? We did that same thing at Valdezair one year, and I don't know if it was the last year they did it because I agree that, that I would never see that today, but it was in 90, like four, I think, and we had a ton of snow, and so they just sent everybody to ski the track in right? Instead of running a cat over it. Um, and yeah, we were just rapid fire. And I think I got three runs. They let us come back up and do multiple runs. I got like three runs that day and, and it was pretty slow. We had to have clothes on, but you know, it was really fun. Um, but they, yeah, I agree. They wouldn't do that nowadays. No way. Yeah. That, that ship has sailed. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> set that's, that's, a, that's what Marco and I do on the every day anyways you know how we ski <laughs> clothes on going fast on the mountain treating treating the mountain like a downhill track and I think that's important like, you know too like we're talking about speed and getting kids um just more comfortable at speed like when condition, conditions allow it's a safe environment you're strong confident yourself go fast like especially on flats or you know tuck it out um there's a lot of like little terrain side hills like grab your tuck and just work the terrain and feel comfortable holding that like bully you know and letting your legs move and and you have to always try and get speed elements in the course on a race hill you know do it free skiing and uh when it's rough and bumpy like get comfortable like having that like just strong core and, and uh leg separation you know so your legs can move like suspension and and i think that's like a huge benefit goes right to a question from Mark Wolcott. So if you have a, uh, any listeners have a question, just info at americandownhiller.com, send it to us. But this comes from Mark Wolcott, and I'll throw it out there. Darren, you kind of already touched on it. How can we as a nation get more speed training for the U10, U12, U14s so they're comfortable at speed, they're used to it. So when they make that jump uh, to Super G and downhill, they already have the skills developed to take even further. I'm just going to throw that out there. AJ, how about you? Well, yeah, since you're throwing it to me, I'll, I'll follow what Darren just said. I mean, I, I take my son to, to the AD camp every year. It's the best place to get speed training. I mean, it's full length downhill at Mammoth, you know, big jump off a hair jump, lots of speed, lots of length, lots of reps, terrain, you know, uh, the wave track. It's a, it's a great camp. Um, you know, if there's any, any race organizers or, or, you know, divisional board members listening to these podcasts, um, getting young kids going fast is, is what's important early on. We don't need to set gates. You know, if you get, you already got a closed race venue with nets on both sides, you've already got, you know, closure at the top, closure at the bottom. You've already got coaches there with radios, just set up a high speed, uh, free ski, uh, venue one day, 
get the kids up there in their bib number or even in random order, but send them out of the start every 15 seconds, one at a time. You got, you know, uh, uh, mid midpoint checks and making sure that, you know, nobody's crashing or having any problems, but getting these kids going fast is what's important. You know, helmets on, long skis, if they've got them, learn to tuck, just having an open, safe venue that doesn't have any, you know, crazy terrain, gates, any obstacles on it. This, let's get these kids skiing fast. I mean, this can be a, you know, an afternoon thing or, you know, one day of a, of a, of a race series someplace, but um, just closed venue fast skiing is a really great way to get young kids learning how to go fast. Yeah. I'll set um, Marco up. Talk about the American downhillers camp. What are the skills mentally and what are the skills technically that you want to build and, and what you're focused on Marco? I feel like speed training has the stigma that it's dangerous and it's expensive and, you know, to get this huge venue blocked off and but we've learned at the ad camp it's like you don't need a whole lot to actually train speed you know it's a natural rollover maybe a na some natural whoops or just an open run where you can go fast if you can control that environment with some eyes on the hill and have the kids being comfortable doing these small movements it all builds up into you know having some real skills for aerodynamics and jumping and and tactics and speed, which are, those are our three focuses at camp. You know, you want to have good tactics because when it comes to speed, you're looking for the smoothest, fastest line, which is not necessarily gate to gate. You know, you're looking down the hill and it's a little bit different in the tech events. You want to be aerodynamic, you know, good position, which is fairly basic, but all of us at the, at our level have been in wind tunnels and seeing how the air moves over your body and so we can you know teach the the proper uh shape of your tuck and whatnot and then jumping is the one thing that i feel like kids are generally pretty scared of if, if they don't have experience but just starting off with the proper movements over the tiny jumps and just it builds bigger and bigger and it's really the same movements that you're doing off a two-foot jump that you know, you did over the camel jumps when you first popped on Lou, <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's fairly basic. So it's building that um, mental confidence that, and being comfortable going fast. Like AJ said, I think if you are comfortable going fast when you're a kid, that never goes away. And if you're not comfortable going fast, as you move into your later teenage years, like that can be a problem. So just go fast when you're young and it, it'll pay off. <laughs> it's a uh, building into it we, we do a great job of like having that controlled environment eyes on the course good communication radios and say the hair jump i mean we're starting slow not too far up the hill you get the movements right and i think that's something that marco really uh, drives home hard to all the coaches and we try to implement i mean number one safety and speed with a wave track we kind of start slow but by third or fourth day i mean these kids are firing off the jump through the wave track and just feeling comfortable we're not throwing these guys in there like say just like go all out first run there's some we got to hold back some that are a little tentative but we basically we can still show what to do which is kind of cool you know by example or you know we have some like current u.s ski team guys that come out and, and do it as well but it's a building process i think it's like that's number one we want to see all these kids be safe but come out feeling really confident in themselves and, and throwing down at the end of the, the camp Awesome. And more information about the American Downhillers camp, where do they go? Yeah. So AmericanDownhiller.com, 
Uh, the camp's not open for registration yet, but um, there's some information there on the dates. It's a, uh, the week before Memorial Day. And you can put your, if you are interested in the camp, you can put your name in on our site to get more information about it. And registration will open up uh, next month in February. All right, our last question uh, before we end is from Robert Ouchie. Uh, if I uh, said your name wrong, I'm sorry. He says, I've been to Beaver Creek, but if I was able to attend a European race, which one would you recommend? I'm gonna throw it out there. Which race would you uh, recommend him to go visit in Europe? Anything, they're all great for a different reason, right? I mean, um, you know, they're all great and they're all challenging in one one way or another but and they're all fun and i would try to go to all of them <laughs> go to norway that's something you know it's a, that's pretty cool i mean I, that's one of my favorite places obviously like you can hear about bangin and kitsbill is the huge turnouts and big hype and obviously like the, the experiences there are just unmatched but you know even like a like norway going there there's good score a room up on the mountain like all the athletes it's like way more intimate and just like a it's a really rad hill yeah, it's just a different experience. So Kvithiel, Norway, it's a good spot too. But I'd say everyone as well, like AJ just mentioned. Yeah, one of those, one of the more obscure ones, you know, like a Valgardena or Garmisch or or Norway, you can probably have a little more access with being right on the course, closer to the athletes. You, like the guys are saying, you go to a Vengen or a Kitzbühel and it's like, it's a great time, but it's crazy. And you're, you're going to be in the droves of fans for sure. Yeah, if you want to party, bang in Kitsville. Look these guys up. They'll take you to a great trip right here at ADL Ski Club. They're great supporters of the American Downhiller Camp as well. So these guys do trips every year. I, I echo everyone. Any time, any race in Europe is going to be fantastic. If you want the crowd's excitement, go to Vang and Kitzbühel. If you want more intimate, try to Bormio, Valgardena, St. Anton, whatever. All right. Thanks to AJ, Marco, and D-Money. Thanks for watching and listening to our American Downhiller podcast. If you like it, spread the word. Share with your friends, coaches, teammates throughout your ski club. You can find us on SkiRacing.com for our video uh, version and now on audio form either spotify or apple and just search american downhiller podcast it also helps a ton if you subscribe and also give us a rating we are now the 55th largest uh podcast in switzerland i just got a notice on that that's very random let's make it the first uh in the world hey looking forward our next podcast coming up is about vengen that's next week the longest downhill track in the world that at times runs about two minutes and 30 seconds on a snowy training run i've been 245 with some of the craziest terrain in the final 10 seconds that is the definition of a leg burner hey darren rolves has a one vengen You've been on the podium, Marco, AJ, and I. We have some special memories. You don't want to miss that one. Thanks, and always remember, ski fast, take chances.